welcome to Monsters Among Us. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. If you're new to the program, my name is Derek, and I collect stories about monsters, and ghosts, and UFOs, aliens, and practically anything considered Fortean. And as luck would have it, tonight is no exception. As a matter of fact, I have an eerie ensemble of encounters, perfect ingredients for an amazing episode. To kick us off this evening, we begin in the state of Arizona. The following was submitted by Joseph. Hello, Derek. My name is Joseph. I'm calling from the Valley of the Sun, Phoenix, Arizona. I've got several stories uh, about hauntings that I could tell, but I'm going to only share one right now. I uh, found your podcast a couple weeks ago, and I've been binge listening and just felt like this was time to share. Back in the 80s and 90s, uh, we lived in a home that uh, had quite a bit of ghost sightings in it. And uh, this one particular was during the summer of, I'd want to say, 1992, 1993. I was about 10 years old. My brother and sister, we just got a few cats, and we were up early one morning, and uh, we're playing with our kittens, and out in the living room, we could see my grandmother's old rocking chair, and it had to have been about 5.30 in the morning. We saw her rocking chair start moving and uh, creaking, and it's an old antique rocking chair, so it makes a lot of noise when someone sits in it. It's about dawn, so there's some a little bit of sunlight, not much, coming through the window. We could just barely make out the rocking chair, and it looks like it's rocking back and forth. Sounds like it's rocking back and forth. My brother and I decide that we want to go check it out. So we get up and uh, start headed out that to the living room, and uh, my sister tagged along. We kind of pushed her out into the front, and... When we got into the living room, the rocking chair immediately just came to an abrupt halt. Then we heard a loud bang in the kitchen, and then sunlight filled the kitchen. We went into the kitchen and saw the back door was completely wide open. And what makes it really strange is the chain on the door that we had on the back door was swinging. But it was still attached to the wall. It was swinging. And the deadbolt of the door was still in the locked position, but yet the door frame had no damage to it at all. My parents heard the noise. They got up. They wanted to know what we were doing. We told them the story. They at first didn't believe us. And then the bang we found out was from a, one of the cabinets slamming shut. It slammed so hard that it cracked the cabinet door. Now, the reason I bring this up is I own that chair now. I'm uh, now 36 years old. I have three daughters. My oldest daughter, when she was about two, I had just gotten the rocking chair from my mom. And my oldest daughter was talking to, I assumed was her imaginary friend, until I told her that it was time to go to daycare. She uh, says, okay, grandma, I gotta go. And the only person that she called grandma was uh, my wife's 
grandmother, so my daughter's great grandmother, who was still alive. I texted my wife and told her, you need to contact your grandma and see how she's doing. And grandmother, turns out, was okay. We think that our daughter was talking to my grandmother who had passed years before my daughter was even born, years before the rocking chair incident when I was 10. But that rocking chair just had a bunch of things happen with it. Nothing happened before we got the rocking chair um, in my old house. Then a bunch of stuff happened once we got it. When I grew up and I moved into my house now, nothing happened here until we got the rocking chair. My daughter, talking to her quote-unquote grandma, I still don't know whether she was talking to an entity or anything, but I do know that uh, shortly after that incident, I also got a desk from my mother that wasn't put together fully, and it had the space where the keyboard sits, the tray that slides in and out underneath the desktop. And so that was sitting, leaned up against the wall in my den, which has hard tile floor. And uh, it was leaning up against the wall. The tray that holds the keyboard was at the top and it was on the outside. So if you can picture this, it's leaning up against the wall. The tray is facing outward, not towards the wall. I was home alone. My wife took our girls to her mom's and I wasn't feeling good this day. And I uh, was sitting on the couch in my living room and I just heard this loud crash in my den. I go in there and the desk top was now laying flat on the floor with the keyboard tray underneath it. So it couldn't have slid like people wouldn't normally think, you know, it's slide on the tile and down the wall. Well, this literally had to be pushed up and over because of where that keyboard tray was sitting. So, uh, yeah, that's my story. Uh, I do love your podcast. Can't wait to hear what you think of this. Thanks. Thank you, sir, for the submission. If you're even a casual follower of the paranormal, you may be familiar with the concept of haunted furniture. There are countless examples, a few that come to mind, the mirror at the Myrtles Plantation in Louisiana, the death chair that's claimed the lives of over four people that have sat in it, and of course the tall man bunk beds that we covered several seasons ago, a story you may recall from the original Unsolved Mysteries series. But like Joseph's encounter, there seems to be lesser-known cases of quote-unquote haunted furniture. Recently, a thrift shop in North Carolina sold a hand-carved bedroom set that was said to be haunted. And then there's the case of the famous haunted couch of Waco, Texas. It's a couch, a basic couch. There are places in this world where the line between good and evil blurs, places where the light of day never seems to reach. In Waco, the harbinger of this evil comes with six legs, two arms, and three cushions. A gentleman bought this couch, took it home to his house. That night, two kitchen cabinets opened in his kitchen, and he thought it was a fluke deal. He closed them and went to bed. Got up the next morning, all the kitchen counters were opened. He closed them again. The next night, 
The same thing. All his kitchen counters in his house were opened. The story of this haunted couch is shrouded in mystery. Where it's from, who made it, and what took it from a simple living room accessory into a gateway to the dark side is unknown. Said he had a sulfur smell in the house like somebody had been lighting matches and blowing them out. He did it for five nights and took it out and put it in the garage. And at that point, he claims everything stopped. But the story of this couch and the horror that it wrought on one family is at least, according to legend, all too real. So he returned it to our store, came in and said, sell it for whatever you can sell it. He said, the sofa's haunted. I don't want any part of it. Get it away from me. He came in and left in a big hurry. I've, I've advertised it now as a haunted sofa, question mark. At $249, the couch is still for sale. It comes with no warranty, just a warning. That clip comes courtesy of KWTX News 10 out of Waco. And I encourage everyone to check this clip out. Apparently, after they featured the story, strange things began to occur in their studio. Let me tell you, I know that feeling. I've linked to that video in tonight's show notes. If you want to take a look. Now, Joseph, my suggestion would be to trace the history of each of these items. Was your mother the first owner? Well, if she wasn't, well, there's your lead. Another thing I'd suggest is to put up a camera, train it on the rocking chair, and see what you catch. And let us know if anything shows up. Thank you again for that submission. Now our second entry tonight is subtle, but if you let your imagination run just a little bit, well then, this could be a literal nightmare. The following is Rob's submission from the Keystone State. Hey Derek, this is Rob, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. The story I'm going to tell occurred in western Maryland, near a town called Little Orleans. Back in the late 90s, middle 90s, my then wife and I used to have a hobby of mountain biking up and down the CNO Canal. The CNO Canal is a, uh, was a long canal that ran from the end of western Maryland all the way down to Washington, D.C. So it was about 200 miles of trail. Uh, most of it had fallen into ruin. So mostly you were just riding in a wild next to a ruin, you know, filled canal. But it was a very creepy place. Most of this, There were some very creepy places along it. Um, there's a labor cemetery, uh, and there is another uh, tunnel that you ride through. We had heard of this place called the Indigo Tunnel. Uh, I'm not 100% sure where we found out about it at first, but it was an abandoned railway tunnel that was parallel to the CNO Canal. So we decided to go and check it out. Um, some reason I had this idea that we should ride our bikes through it. You know, that, that would be a really cool thing to do. I was in my mid-twenties, so that probably explains things. Not all that bright. Um, so we find the, uh, the end of the tunnel, the northern end of the tunnel. It was fall, I think. Say cool, but not, you know, really cold out. And the tunnel's all fenced off. But we managed to put our bikes over the top of the fence and climb over and get inside with our bikes. Now, it's a really huge tunnel inside. And it's not like you would think 
a train tunnel is normally like all bricked off and smooth inside like you know like you would see in an old Bugs Bunny cartoon this is just like a lot of timbers going straight up and capped off by these huge rafters in the roof and in between the rows of timbers are these pockets that go back into the wall and the rock that you can't really see into so extremely creepy place and the tunnel is at least like a mile I would say a mile long so even though you can see the light at the other end of the tunnel it's only just like just a pinprick of light way down beyond so like I said us being young and it being the 1990s we didn't really have any really bright lights with us at all all we each had uh, I'm gonna say is uh, a handlebar lamp which just illuminated just like say a six-foot area in front of your front tire and that's basically it and so they had already taken the train the train tracks were taken out a long time ago but there's still a lot of standing water on the gravel inside the tunnel so we mount up and we start riding down the tunnel thinking we're going to ride through this thing we're riding through water so you're riding in the pitch dark and you're riding through this water so all you can hear is the white noise of your tires splashing through water all the time uh but i'm riding along and we get maybe 25 maybe 30 yards into the tunnel and i can feel like i feel like i can hear something beyond the noise of the of the of the tires beyond the like the noise of the we're making something else maybe so finally i slow down and i stop and you know my wife stops but this other noise doesn't stop and all i'm hearing is the sound of something running through water i'm hearing splash 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 now what the heck is that and you can't see anything in there. It's pitch black. We don't have any lights. Is this thing running directly toward us? Is it running directly away from us? Splash, 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 splash. It's not stopping, you know? It's keeping, it's keeping going, you know? So we turn around and we got out of there. You seen a guy put two bikes over an eight foot fence faster. It never happened. Man. I mean, we got out of there as fast as we could and just standing out back in the daylight looking at that darkness we never did see what it was i would say on a set on a subsequent trip i did end up getting to the other end of the tunnel the southern end and not inside of course but to the southern end and uh it's such a creepy place that even in like you're standing outside in a hundred degree temperature you can still see your breath from the air that's coming out of the tunnel which is probably just a natural thing but very 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 creepy i have no idea what that was it definitely was something bipedal it was definitely running on two legs could it have been a person you know some kind of crazy mountain person living in there could it have been something else bigfoot or god knows what i don't know never found out but i definitely don't, never went trying to ride my bike through <laughs> abandoned train tunnels again I think that put an end to that. Thanks a lot, man. I um, really love the podcast. And uh, I've got some other stories that I'll call back with later. Peace. Thanks, Rob. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I could picture a menagerie of different monsters running straight toward them. Rob nailed it with suggestions like Bigfoot and the crazed mountain man. But given that they were in the state of Maryland, there is one creature... He neglected to mention.
the Maryland Goat Man. As with haunted furniture, we've also discussed Goat Man on prior episodes. Though there are Goat Men legends in several states, Maryland's Horned Beast has a twist all its own. A twist, I would dare say, that is science fiction. So I'm dusting off this previously used clip by WTOP News' Jason Fraley out of D.C. Decades ago, a scientist experimented on goats at the Beltsville Agricultural Research Center. When an experiment backfired, the scientist was mutated into a half-man, half-goat creature. Soon this creature was seen attacking cars with an axe along the Fletchertown Road in Bowie. It's said to be six feet tall, hairy, and walking upright on its hind legs. In 1971, local residents even blamed the goat man for the death of a decapitated dog. Today, the beast preys upon couples who make out along so-called lover's lane. Unlike the Pope-Lick monster in Kentucky, the goat man of Denton, Texas, and the Fort Worth monster, which many claim to be yet another goat man, the Maryland Goat Man wields a weapon and has a quote-unquote scientific origin. Outside of that, the legends and the monster's descriptions are very similar from case to case. At any rate, maybe a few other visitors to that forbidden tunnel have an experience of their own they'd like to share. Well, if you do, please consider calling the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's one 888 Now it goes without saying that I'm always accepting any true paranormal experience. And the hotline is open 24-7. Now we are quickly approaching our season 9 finale. And yet another installment of Hometown Legends. So be sure to get those in to me ASAP. And I might as well get this set up too. Longtime listener, Mari, sent in a suggestion for our next special episode. And frankly, I love the idea. So consider this a call to all museum workers. I want to hear your strange and creepy experiences. Just be sure to mention this is for the museum workers special when you call in. And thank you, Mari, for the suggestion. I'm really looking forward to this one. Now, before we move on, I want to introduce you to a good friend of mine. She just started a new podcast. One of her maids in the Philippines was an aswang. I felt like someone was choking me. I looked up and I saw it and I looked right at him. Nobody saw a single thing. There's such thing as evil spirits. I believe that. Those very people who don't believe in something end up getting bit in the ass later on. Hello, believers, non-believers, and everyone in between. I'm Sapphire Sindalo, creator of the Something Scary web series and podcast, panelist on Travel Channel's Paranormal Caught on Camera, and now the host of Stories with Sapphire. It's a podcast where I share my personal exploration of paranormal phenomena through stories, interviews, and poems. New episodes every Wednesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also join me live every week on Twitch when I draw my episode thumbnail art. Head over to storieswithsapphire.com for more information. That's Sapphire, S-A-P-P-H-I-R-E. Salamat and good night. 
And if you listen close to those first couple episodes, you might just hear a familiar voice. Now getting back to the action. Please welcome our next anonymous caller. This time from the state of Texas. or 12 years old. I'm 22 now, so it's been a couple of years. We live in a, in, a, in a small town that's really, really, really close to the border, and my grandmother was always taking care of me, and my, my mom and dad wouldn't work full-time, so I would go and I would I would stay at my grandma's place at about, you know, for about weeks at a time. So my grandmother, she would always say that she felt like somebody had done some type of witchcraft because at certain periods of her life everything seemed to be going completely wrong. So around that same time my grandma had boyfriends and that the man that that she was with was actually married. So that man's wife, she would always come to my grandma's house and tell her things and just do all sorts of random things. So then I remember that I was inside the apartment, the apartment, and my grandma and the lady were arguing outside, and that the lady told her that she was going to do, some, do something. She was like, I'm not just going to leave you with him. You're going to have to suffer through it. So then, for a couple of nights later, we were there, and it was a very small apartment. So we would sleep together in her room, and it was very, very late. It was about 1 or 2 in the morning. We would go to sleep around 10, so we were already asleep when we heard knocking, and we could hear the knocking everywhere. Like, you, I could hear the knocking coming from the door, from the windows. It felt like it was even coming from the roof. There was just so much, so much knocking. I remember I woke up, and my grandma was like, yeah, I can hear it too. And then she told me, don't get up, and don't make any noise. So we were there, and the knocking went on for like half an hour. Vicious, vicious knocking. Like if somebody was trying to get in the house. But there was no noise or anything. It was just the knocking. So then my grandma finally got up and she's like, you stay in the room and I'm going to go in and see what it is. So then she went to the living room. She kind of opened the door and see what it was. And naturally I followed her. And when she opened that door, there was, there was a big, 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 big owl, but instead of the regular face of an owl, it was the face of that lady, that man's wife, and I remember my grandmother screamed, and we closed the door, and we locked it, and we turned all the lights off, because we slept with the hallway light on, we turned all the lights off, and we went straight back to the room, and we locked everything. We were so terrified that we didn't even mention anything. We never talked about it again. But, yeah, I mean, that's the story. After that, I didn't want to sleep there anymore. So I slept at one of my aunt's houses. But uh, my grandmother, uh, she would she would talk to my mom about it, and she would tell her that the knocking went on for nights at a time. So, yeah, that is my story. And I'll be submitting more in the tutorial of the show. Bye. Thank you, caller. That was a wild tale. A few things stuck out to me with this one. If even half of what our caller claimed happened, 
then a curse is pretty much the only option we have to go to, especially when paired with the woman's threats. I also couldn't help but notice that we are again talking about owls in the supernatural light, as there's something buried in our subconscious that we should be aware of with these strange nocturnal birds, or is this simply anthropomorphism or assigning human traits to animals? But if that's the case, how do you explain the owl's strange behavior? And my final point here is, we have to go back to last week's episode where I discussed the strange goings-on at my grandparents' home when I was a kid. Just like our caller's submission, the experience from my childhood included what seemed like slaps on the roof and sides of the house. Is that another coincidence, or was my family under some sort of curse? And our owls somehow, or for some reason, attacking houses, flying into them, smacking the sides with their wings and talons. I mean, I suppose that's one way to explain both our caller's experience and the one of my family's when I was a child. And perhaps when our caller's grandmother opened the door, she surprised a confused owl while simultaneously scaring the hell out of herself. Seeing the woman's face in the owl could be explained with hallucinations caused by fear, possibly guilt. I've always heard of that sort of thing happening, but I don't have any medical proof. Either way, these suggestions are just that, suggestions. I was not there to experience this, so maybe I missed the mark completely. So thank you again, caller, for taking the time to share that call. Before I start our next entry, a huge thank you to everyone that left great reviews over the past month. A boost like that will attract all sorts of new stories. I mean, listeners. Now this episode is very creature heavy. Just the way I like it. But it's not without its other paranormal staples. To prove my point, please welcome Larry and his UFO story from the state of Missouri. Hey, Derek, my name's Larry. I just wanted to call to report my signing I just had about, uh, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes ago out here in uh, Missouri, driving through uh, Troy. And out of nowhere, uh, I was looking right ahead of me while driving, and I saw these three lights, and, and weirdly enough, it was in a perfect triangle, almost perfect. And then out of nowhere, they just started to disperse and form a line and move away from them. Not really sure what it was. I know UFO signings normally are in that shape of a triangle, but this was different, and it was probably man-made. I'm not exactly sure. It's unexplained. But I know that one of the lights were blinking, you know, like, like a helicopter, an airline, something like that. So I know it was it was man-made, but it was just the fact that they were flying in a triangle formation that really caught my eye. Anyway, I'm a huge fan. Been listening since uh, season one. I love what you do. Uh, you have yourself a good night. Short and sweet. Thank you, Larry. As many might imagine, I'm on the lookout for UFOs practically any time I'm outside. I'm not sure if it's my location or if it's because I'm always looking up, but I tend to see many strange things in the sky. 
Now, I don't know if I would label a single one of these odd sightings as alien in nature, but interesting to me, nonetheless. But one of the filters I apply to any of these strange sightings could debunk Larry's story right away. The mention of the blinking indicator light on one of the vessels is a dead giveaway. Unless, of course, Larry was witnessing some sort of military UFO pursuit or escort. But that's something we'll have to explore at another time. Thank you again, Larry. Missouri has its fair share of flying oddities. I'm glad you got to see one. Now, real quick, I want to remind everyone that we have thriving communities at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Reddit. So if you're looking to connect with other listeners and get a glimpse behind the show, search Monsters Among Us in your platform of choice and enjoy the fun today. Now let's venture back to the haunting side of the paranormal, because Dean has a tale of premonition fear and possession that you gotta hear. Hi there, my name is Dean. I am calling in from Connecticut. Uh, I live in the Hartford area. I'm calling about a paranormal experience that I had a couple of years back with my friend Taylor. So we like to go ghost hunting and there's this place in Burlington, Connecticut called the Green Lady Cemetery. And I have been there, been going there for quite some time through the years. We've gone with friends, we've gone with each other, and we've gotten some really great stuff, actually. We got this really great photo of this orb coming off of a tree, and we also got this EVP of this guy saying hello to us, and we didn't hear it in real time, but when we went back and we played, we got that EVP, which was really cool. But there was one particular time that we went that I wanted to talk about, and this was when Taylor and I were by ourselves, and we go to the Green Lane Cemetery, and it's pretty late at night, I'd say maybe like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, around that time. And, you know, my friend Taylor, I believe that she kind of has some ability. What, I don't really know, nor does she, but she sometimes gets these interesting vibes. So we're there in the cemetery, and she says, I keep getting this name, Will or Willow. And I said to her, well, okay, let's go look around the cemetery, and we'll see if we can find a name for somebody. So, mind you, this is a really small cemetery. It's on a dirt road in the middle of nowhere. It's really a small stone with a lot of the busts gone. It's really just kind of ruins of what used to be a cemetery. And we're going around, and, you know, she said, I'm looking for Will, Willow, something like that. So I go over to the ground, and there's not many, again, there's not many headstones. So I go down, and I brush off the dirt on one of them. And lo and behold, the first one I come to, the name spells Ann M. Willow, W-I-L-O. And I was like, okay, if she wanted to spook me, she would have came here hours beforehand, put dirt and grass and whatnot onto this headstone. And then I'm like, okay, well, maybe we could try something else, see what else happens, what else comes up. So we're sitting there in the middle of the cemetery, and I have one of those gigantic flashlights, and she's sitting next to me, and she's just like, mm, I don't, she's like, I'm not really getting anything. And I'm like, okay, take your time, no worries. You know, we'll go through it and we'll see what happens. So we're sitting down and she has her eyes closed. She's very quiet. And then I turn off my flashlight and I close my eyes. And what seemed like an hour later was only seconds. But all of a sudden, Taylor jumps up, screams bloody murder. And her eyes are staring forward. Her mouth is agape. She's not looking at anything except 
the cemetery, and she's screaming at the top of her lungs. And I look at her, and I scream, Taylor, Taylor, we have to get out of there. We have to get out of there. Um, so we're running, bolting to the car. We get into the car, and I sit in my side, and she sits in hers. And she's giggling, and I'm like, why are you giggling? And she looks at me, and she goes, why did you take me out of the cemetery? After talking to her that night, she said she doesn't remember anything of our paranormal encounter. And she doesn't remember screaming. And I still ask her about it, and she doesn't seem to know what happened. Only I do. So I said to her, we're never going back there again. I was like, that's the final straw. But what I thought was kind of, you know, just an abandoned little cemetery seems to maybe have something darker. And I don't want to risk it, so I told her we're done there. Uh, That's my experience, my last experience with the Green Lady Cemetery in Burlington, Connecticut. And uh, definitely will not be going back there anytime soon. Love the podcast. Really enjoying it. My friend Taylor actually was the one who told me about it. So keep it up. And I'm looking forward to listening to more. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dean. I think a terrifying cemetery experience is required for all paranormal enthusiasts. It really seems like everyone has their own story, almost a rite of passage. Now as for Dean's, I'd be interested to know if there are any other reports from this particular cemetery. If so, do they align with Dean and Taylor's? And how about you uh, Connecticut listeners? What do you guys know about all this? Thanks again, Dean, for sharing your entry. Alright guys, I have a couple more to share with you guys before we close this chapter. And they're both nice, plump, ripened examples of horror and terror. But real quick, if you're looking for additional content, please hit up our Patreon. Two bonus episodes a month, 33 shows instantly available from the back catalog, plus tons of bonus content, all for a measly $4 a month. Just search Monsters Among Us Podcast at patreon.com and sign up today. Now, let's get this thing back on track. Next up is a call from Skyler in the state of Oklahoma. Let me tell you, this one is Nightmare Fuel. Hi, my name's Skyler, and I just started listening to the podcast, and it made me think of something that happened to me about four years ago. So this would have been the spring of 2016. I grew up in this little town in Oklahoma where basically we had a Walmart and a bunch of churches, but not much else. So if you wanted anything nice, uh, you had to go out of town. And uh, me and my friends had gone to a city about an hour away to pick up our prom dresses. And we were on our way home, and you had to go through another city between the one we picked up our dresses in and the town we lived in. But once you got to that second city, there was a shortcut that was kind of an old country road that you could go down that kept you off of the main highway, which we tended to do a lot because you could drive fast or you could drive slower and you could have discussions and you didn't have to deal with all the traffic. And so we're driving home, and I don't know what you know about Oklahoma weather, but this is April, and so... Our weather changes constantly, and what had started out as a nice, sunny drive turns into this dark, rainy, miserable, pouring rain. So I was driving, and 
we're going down this road and it's kind of windy and me and my friends had always been super interested in supernatural and paranormal and we used to try to tell each other stories to scare each other and she was the person I would go to her house and we would convince her mom to rent us scary movies and stuff like that so we were always trying to one-up each other and I had recently heard about skinwalkers which the area of Oklahoma that I grew up in there's a lot of uh, native influence but skinwalkers aren't necessarily always associated with the tribes where we live and I am not myself Native American but my friend is so I was asking her if she'd ever heard of it or anything similar and but I'm telling her this story and I'm getting her all you know worked up and all of a sudden we come around this curve and there's this kind of a crossing there that I've been to a lot because my aunt and uncle lived down the road that crossed it so I was familiar with the area and it's still pouring and I'm telling her this story and we're both getting worked up and we happen to look in front of us and there's this creature, I don't know what else to call it, sitting in the middle of the road staring at us. And the best way I've ever been able to describe it, it looked like a big black dog with these awful piercing eyes that glowed, but it wasn't the normal reflection of like if you hit a dog's eyes with like your headlights where that glows that kind of greenish gold tone this is almost like a I can't even explain it it was just it felt off and I look at my friends and I slammed on the brakes and I was like do you see that do you see that because we've just been talking about these creatures that are essentially giant dogs and she saw it and we're screaming and we're trying to figure out what to do and we're sitting there on this road there's no one around us there's no lights there's a house not that far away but I mean you know there's no one else really out there. And all of a sudden, we sit there and we watch this thing slither across the road like a snake. And I went home and I told my family and they were like, oh, you saw a dog that has been hit by a car. Like, its legs were probably broke and it just couldn't walk. But to this day, I drive by that same exit almost daily because I now go to college in the town that uh, we had gone to to pick our dresses up from, so I have to pass through that city four times a week. So I see that exit, and actually the way that the highway cuts, if you don't take that exit, you come back around to another place to take an exit that's even closer to where we saw it. I recently started listening to the podcast and hearing all these stories, and I always listen to it on my way back and forth to school because it's about an hour's drive, and it kills the silence. And uh, I got to thinking the other day about it, and I hadn't thought about it in a long time, but I just listened to some of the stories on the podcast, and I guess it brought it back up as I was driving by. Um, but to this day, I still don't really like to drive, take that cut off if I can help it. Um, if I do take it, I like to take it during the day. I have taken it a few times at night, but I refuse to ever go on it again if it's raining. I just can't handle it. And I mean, I've gone back out to visit my aunt and uncle before, and I've looked, and I just, it doesn't, I don't know, I've never seen it, it again, but I still don't think it was a dog. Thanks for the podcast, and I really appreciate it. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, Skylar. A dog-like creature that moves like a snake. I can't say that I've ever heard of something like that before. My initial thought was of a low-running creature, maybe like a badger. But although badgers can be found in the western half of Oklahoma, after watching a video of these creatures run, I knew that theory didn't hold water. 
and I should mention that the suggestion put forth by Skylar's family was also a good contender. A dog with broken hind legs or a spinal cord injury could indeed move snake-like. So I guess the bottom line here is that I don't know what this creature is or was, but I'm hoping someone out there has some sort of answers. But until then, thanks Skylar for sharing. Now a quick correction to last week's episode. In regards to Erica's entry about a kangaroo-like creature, I tossed around the theory that she could have seen an upright walking bear, and many of you were not having that. I received at least a dozen complaints from people about that comment. Yeah, I agree with you. I know bears do not have kangaroo-like tails. That part just slipped my mind while writing the script. But thank you guys for keeping me honest. All right. With this last call, I argued with myself for about an hour on whether or not I should use it. There's nothing wrong with the call itself. It's amazing, actually. But the issue is that it comes to us from Mikey in Idaho. If that name sounds familiar, it's because we featured Mikey on Season 9, Episode 12, with a story about a drone-like UFO that spied on Mikey and his friends at a bonfire. So that's the dilemma. I have hundreds of calls in the bank, and I want everyone to get their turn. But this story is too good not to share. And in a roundabout way, it actually ties into his previous entry. But then I remembered this is my show. And I can do what I want. So ladies, gentlemen, monsters, please welcome Mikey to the program. Hi Derek, this is Mikey from Idaho. For some reason I was thinking of, uh, I've been trying to get the details straight on this one to kind of make sure that I'm not exaggerating in any way, shape, or form thinking back through exactly how the experience happened. So I was in high school, probably sophomore or junior year. Of course, what all us kids did on Friday and Saturday night would go out of Canyon, uh, get a keg of beer, and everybody just have a good old time, you know? Nothing really too nefarious. There were no hard drugs back at that time, at least in this part of Idaho. So this would have been maybe 2003, 2004. So anyway, most of the kids had gone to bed already in their little makeshift camps or their cars or whatever. So it was probably, I don't know, maybe two or three in the morning. And there was only three of us hanging out around the fire still. And I just, I I always had a hard time sleeping if I was going to have a couple beers. So it was me and my friend Jed and my friend Ian. And we're just talking about all sorts of, you know, paranormal UFOs, looking at the stars, seeing satellites go by, and what if that, you know, we were we were kids. Eventually, both of them went to bed, so probably maybe three or four, and I went and got my little Bronco, too, and I tried to read for a little while, and pretty soon the sun starts to come up, and as soon as I see daybreak coming... I decided I was going to go out there and just sit and smoke some cigarettes, watch the sun come up, kind of wait for everybody else to get up and start cooking breakfast and everything. And so I sat there for maybe a half hour to an hour, just watching the sun as it went from almost completely dark 
to actually up into the sky to where I couldn't look straight at it anymore. And in the desert out there with all the sagebrush and everything, the, watching the colors change is just incredible. It's like every 30 seconds, there's a new pattern of colors coming across the sky. In the, and I don't think that it was very cloudy at all. There were some clouds up to, well, where the, the next part of the story comes in. I was about ready to be done and get up, and I heard what sounded like a bird taken off behind me, but the biggest bird that I've ever... I mean, you, you, you couldn't replicate this with the size bird that is around here, and so I spun around, and this thing, I swear to God, was taller than me, whatever it was, and I only saw it for just a second as it turned, spread its wings, which had to have been a 15 or 20 foot wingspan. Again, I'm trying not to exaggerate, but the amount of power that the thrust that these two wings, he flapped one time or it or whatever it was, flapped one time, it was all black and just kind of like that iridescent that feathers can get on it, flapped one time and took off into the sky. I mean, that one flap from the ground to up where the clouds were. And then I saw it spread its wings one more time, and that was, it hung there for just an instant, and then hit its wings, and it completely disappeared. Can't explain it. I mean, I've never heard of winged cryptids out here in Idaho, but the thing that really, really creeps me out is that I'd been sitting there with my back to it, and I didn't hear it until it took off. I have no clue how long it was sitting there behind me just watching me watch the sunrise I mean I don't know if it was thinking of eating me I don't know if it was something from some other realm of consciousness that was just enjoying watching me watch the sunrise but it could have been there the whole time I've seen huge owls in the woods coming down to pick up some sort of prey I've seen a giant I don't know what kind of owl one time try to pick up a crow off a branch and this thing snuck up behind that crow completely silent, flapping its wings. So I, I know how even a giant bird can be silent right behind prey. So who knows? I mean, I know what I saw. I don't know if it was at any ill intent or whatever, but I'll never forget it. And I've told this story, I don't know how many times and it never changes, so. Thanks for what you do. Really appreciate it. Hope you guys like the story. Thanks, Mikey. Now you see why I had to share this call. There's a lot to unravel here, but let's start with the obvious. What the hell is going on in Idaho? That state is quickly becoming a Monsters Among Us submission hotspot. Secondly, there are so many red flags here that make me think this wasn't an ordinary bird. First, the fact that Mikey was able to be so close to it. Even large birds are careful to avoid humans. And as Mikey explained, he was smoking cigarettes the entire time. What bird is going to put up with a human and puffs of smoke? But the way it took off is likely the biggest tell of all. The way Mikey described it, it's almost like our laws of physics didn't exactly pertain to it. When I made that realization, I immediately linked to an experience with a very well-known cryptid, the Mothman 
of Point Pleasant. At 7.15 a.m. on November 25th, a shoe salesman named Tom Urey was driving just north of the TNT area. I noticed something out of the corner of my eye from the riverbank over here. And it came up over the trees. And when I first saw it, it looked like a helicopter coming up. And then when it came up over the trees, I could see it was a, a bird, a huge bird. Estimating the wingspan, I would say 10 to 12 feet, give or take uh, on either end, uh, up to 15. I'd never seen anything that large before in my life. I was scared, but I wasn't terrified. It's, it was a strange feeling. I mean, uh, I'd never seen anything like it. I hope I never do again, you know. It's, it's just unbelievable. And that clip comes courtesy of Screen Gems and my old company, Lakeshore Entertainment. Now, not only are the two descriptions similar, but there is one detail of Yuri's encounter that is nearly dead on. Unfortunately, despite hours of scouring the depths of the web, I was unable to find actual video of Yuri physically saying the following line. So you'll just have to settle for me reading it. The following passage from Nick Redfern's book, Shapeshifters, Morphing Monsters, and Changing Cryptids, has this to say. As December 1966 loomed large on the horizon, a man named Thomas Urey encountered Mothman while driving past a field on Route 62, which is situated north of the old TNT plant. He too described the red-eyed beast as a humanoid in shape and gray rather than brown in color, and it took to the skies in a very strange fashion. Instead of flapping its wings like a bird or a bat, it stretched out its wings and rose vertically in the air, an action that Yuri likened to the rise of a helicopter. Now I know Nick's book is not where I originally heard Yuri's description of the creature rising into the sky without exerting much effort, and I'm almost certain that it's not the only Point Pleasant sighting of a strange winged creature launching itself vertically at a high rate of speed. Unfortunately, I only have so long to research each call so I was unable to nail down any of those witnesses. But if I do stumble upon that connection, I'll be sure to let you guys know. And thanks again, Mikey, for calling in again. Seems like you got a lot of action going on up there. And that's my time for the evening. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Addie Lloyd and Sarah Carter Hayes. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And that score that's the salt and pepper on these calls. That's co.ag. Thank you all for listening, and until next week.
Okay. For those of you that were upset that Mikey has seen so much airtime, you're about to flip your lid. Because tonight's bonus entry comes to us from, you guessed it, Mikey in the state of Idaho. Hey Derek, it's Mikey from Idaho again. I was just thinking about it a little bit and something struck me that I never really thought of before. There's an Air Force base really close to where we were having our little canyon party. And I have seen with four friends as witnesses, it's weird actually, one of those friends was Ian that I had talked about earlier. And we witnessed a craft that made no sound. It came right over our head, really close to the same area in the desert. And my gut feeling about that craft was that it was an experimental vehicle from the Air Force Base because it came right from the direction of the Air Force Base. So I've never really thought maybe that thing was not a, a creature and maybe it was some sort of experimental suit or something that the Air Force was, I don't know. Just I've never had this thought about that story, so I found that weird and I figured I'd include it. Also, natives in this state have talked about what they call Thunderbirds for thousands of years, you know, so just a couple more little tidbits I wanted to add. Right on. Have a great day. Thanks again, Mikey. Now, I thought Mikey's additional information also struck a similarity with the Point Pleasant flap. John Keel, famous Mothman researcher and author of Mothman Prophecies, has said on several occasions that he was not sure if the Mothman was an animal of some sort or someone in some sort of mechanical suit that allows the occupant to fly. To me, those synchronicities were too obvious not to point out. I don't know what Mikey got himself into up there, but I do know that he better call me next time he throws a party. Thanks again, Mikey, and thank you for sticking around to the end of the program. Have a good night. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.